Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Well, we are excited to have you, and we always love when people introduce themselves so that we can get your take on, it can be your elevator pitch, it can be your origin story, but we are super excited to be here with our guest speaker, or I'm sorry, our guest, Brad Bizjack, who is a, can I call you a mindset coach? I mean, I know you're a high performance coach, but you also are an entrepreneur, you are the creator of the Rewired system or the Rewired program. How would you describe yourself to someone? Mindset ninja. Ooh, no, okay. <laughs> my, <laughs> right. My friend Jess Rose called me a mindset architect. I just call myself a mindset strategist. Oh, okay. Awesome. Actually came up with concrete strategies to actually rewire their mind for success. I love that. And so, because we hear my, like mindset coach is a big thing now. Yeah, that's, it, I think it's overused. Yeah. Cause what yeah. is it even right? Like how would you even describe? Cause so what you teach people and you have this amazing course called rewired and we'll definitely link it in the show notes. Um, but how would you describe sort of to someone who is like, yeah, I'm interested in this. I've heard this mindset thing. How would you even describe the term mindset or how do you describe that to people? Well, when people talk about mindset, I think what they make the mistake of doing is they think positive thinking, right? And positive thinking, in my opinion, um, Positivity is is a good thing at times, but I think that people rely on toxic positivity too much where they just pretend that when people think of mindset, they think pretend and be positive and just, you know, go to your garden and chant, there are no weeds here and expect that the weeds will disappear, right? That's what I think most people, most people do. Instead, this is more about the subconscious going behind the scenes and identifying what are the limiting beliefs and the actual toxic thought patterns that are hiding in your mental blind spots that you can't see. And let's identify what those are, see if they're true or not, rip them out if they're not serving you, and replace them with something that's reverse engineered from the ideal life that you want. So it's not just about, you know, uh, choosing to be positive. It's about asking yourself, what do I believe about life, about business, about success, about family, about love, and actually setting those beliefs reverse engineered from an ideal future. Mm. I really, I really love this, Brad, and I'm actually very curious because I don't know how you got into this work. Uh, I feel like there's usually a story of struggle or something. So can you take us back a little bit to maybe what you were doing in the first life or were you doing this straight out of college? I doubt that's the answer, <laughs> but share with us like what you were doing and then how did you even get into this mindset stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I, it, it's funny you mentioned college because that's where this whole this whole thing started because when I graduated college, I was $92,000 in debt and it was overbearing. And I remember at that time, I wanted to get out of college and find a job that would get me out of debt. At that stage of my life, I wanted financial freedom. I wanted freedom of choice. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted when I want. And I thought that fashion retail was the answer. Um, that's where I went and I'm not very fashionable. Um, and so I, I, Jill Coleman always shows up to these events that we go to together and she's all schnazzy and I'm in like a t-shirt and sweatpants and stuff. Anyways, I graduated school and I went into fashion retail. And the reason for that is because it was the highest paying job I could find. And I was miserable and I just wanted to get out of this financial situation. And 
I started looking around at different vehicles because I hated that job. I was not in a place where I loved it. And I found online business and online business. I was like, that's it. That's the ticket. I want to create something because at that stage of my life, I wanted to feel like I was sprinting towards something instead of outrunning something. And so online business was it. And I was trying everything. I was doing the tactics and the strategies and it wasn't working for me, but it seemed to be working for everyone else. Everyone around me was succeeding, but I kept on struggling. It didn't matter how many books I read, how many podcasts I listened to. It was two steps forward and three steps back. And I was talking to my mentor at the time who was helping me get this business off the ground. And she was telling me something. She told me something really powerful. She said, dude, you need a mindset coach because what you're doing right now is not working. Like you're so stressed all the time about creating success. It's not working. And I'm like, Dude, I'm $92,000 in debt. I can't afford a coach. She's like, Brad, you can't afford not to. And so I remember I maxed out my very last credit card and I hired myself a coach. And now I'm $98,000 in debt. <laughs> and on our very first call, she said something that changed my life forever. She was, I was telling her how I'm doing all the stuff. I'm reading the books. I'm listening to the podcast. I'm trying to get this going and get my business off the ground. Why isn't it working for me? It's working for everyone else. And she said, Brad... You're so attached to success that you're missing the whole point. She said, business success and money is never going to make you happy. It's happiness and living in appreciation for your life that will lead you to come up with the ideas for success. If you want to succeed, you need to rewire your mind. And at that stage, I was resenting everything in my life. I didn't know what that meant, but I decided I was going to go all in on figuring out how do I rewire my mind, right? And so I started buying tickets to conferences to, that are around this topic. And, and so I remember getting a ticket to a, a conference on limiting beliefs. And in the months leading up to that conference, I got fired from my job. Now, keep in mind, I'm $98,000 in debt. Now I have no income. I have no savings because I had a horrible view of money. And I still had the plane ticket, the conference tickets, the hotel paid for. And I remember flying to San Diego and I land and I go to the grocery store to buy peanut butter and jelly because I couldn't afford eating out. And I go back to the hotel room and I had overdrafted my bank account. And I'm in San Diego with no money. And I walk into that conference and the topic that day took me through this transformational experience of actually changing my beliefs, changing what I believed about life. And everything shifted from that point on. And we went on to build a multi seven figure business. We changed people's lives all over the world. I went on to retire my wife. All these really cool things happened. But it was then that I realized that beliefs are the cause of everything. And if people really want to succeed and they want to thrive, you have to start with rewiring your mind. And that's where that all came from. And so that's the kind of the origin story, how I got into this. And that was years ago, but that's kind of how it all started. That's so interesting. And I love that. Do you mind if I ask what conference it is? I mean, I feel like we're all in the same space and you've mentioned a couple of people before. So who was yeah. that person that really impacted you? It was Brennan Burchard's High Performance Academy. Yeah. He's the best. Danny and I, I think we remember we went to that, Danny. We I think did. We, yeah. When was we that? Did. I think it was like 2017. 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 2016. Oh, 2016 is the one where this all, all went down. So cool. <laughs> so we just yeah. missed each other. When you, when you said San Diego, I was like, it's either Brendan or it's ALA. So... Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Brendan, as I like to call him. I, I love it. You, you actually have a Brendan vibe about you, actually. I feel like you guys could be brothers. <laughs> yeah, he's so <laughs> great. Like yeah, he's... Personality. Yeah. He was the person who introduced me to internet business as well. I remember being at, uh, you know, how he used to do the Experts Academy live and you could bring like a an extra ticket. He, so someone who I was friends with was like, hey, I have this ticket to this thing. And I remember just it opened my eyes. That was in 2010. And I was just like, wow. 
people are making money on the internet doing like e-courses. Like, what is that? Right. And that was like when I got a Weber and Kajabi and like all these, you know, those things that he was talking about. And it's been cool to see just how obviously like how long he's been in the industry and how many lives he's. So I'm always just curious about that. Now, I want to talk about mindset because when you said something earlier about you felt resentful for everything in your life. I would probably say that most people go through life like that, right? They go through life with this almost, Kelly McGonigal calls it the default brain, blaming, complaining, right? Deflecting, defensive, like whatever. And most people sort of go through life and they don't think anything's wrong with that. So there had to be a moment, and maybe it was the mindset coach, the moment where you were like, okay, there is something I can affect here. Because so many people just feel like life's happening to them. And so I know for me, when I started going down the personal development sort of avenue, it was really scary because everything that I used to blame and complain about, I had to take responsibility for. So what was your experience in that? Like we've, we, we kind of laugh sometimes that once you start going down this path, you're like, why did I start? Sometimes, because now you know, right? Now you're like, oh God, the veil's been lifted and I got to work through all this stuff. In a way, it's quote unquote easier to just be in that default brain state. So for you, what was that transformation like? And was that tough for you to start to go from someone who was in that sort of place to taking full responsibility and really being able to affect your own life? That's such a high quality question. That is like one of the best questions I've ever been asked in literally hundreds of podcast interviews. That's amazing. And here's the thing about limiting beliefs. If you're going to break a limiting belief, you have to face all the crap that created it. And most people don't want to do that and they want to avoid it. And it is easier short term to not face this. But long term, it leads to a life of pain and numbness and regret. And so when it comes to actually facing it for me, I had to take a look at my life and ask myself, what are my best qualities? And if I take a look at my hunger for call it success, right? Everyone has a different definition of success. So I had a hunger for success. I am extremely empathetic where I can take a look at what someone is telling me is the issue and actually see what the issue is behind it. I take a look at my marriage, which is fantastic. And I look at these things and I ask myself, why do I have a lot of these qualities? And I realize that it, if it wasn't for the painful things that I went through, there's no way that I have this. If it wasn't for my parents having a horrible relationship and seeing screaming and yelling on a regular basis, there's no way I'd have a beautiful relationship with my wife. If it wasn't for seeing, uh, you know, in my childhood struggling with money all the time and being in debt myself, there's no way I would have a hunger for freedom. If it wasn't for uh, how I was treated as a kid, there's no way I'd be as good of a dad as I am. And so if I take a look back, it was the moments of pain that were gifts in disguise. And I didn't realize that at the time, but as I look back on my life, I realized that life is and always was happening for me. Mm. It was leading me and it was guiding me somewhere amazing. And I didn't realize it at the time. And so if you're going to go on this journey of, of changing your life, I think what's important to realize, you mentioned something, Jill, that people think they should be in a different spot. Well, expectation is the root of all suffering. Mm. And so if you think you should be in a better spot, have more money, you think you should be at a different weight, you think you should have a better marriage, and you end up shooting all over yourself, then what ends up happening is you start thinking that, you know, I'll be happy when these things change. And then you get into a place where you're operating from a place of victimhood, saying my circumstances need to change before I change. Well, how's that working? 
right? Most people think that and it never ends up changing because it's not the circumstances that need to change. It's you change and that influences the circumstances changing because your life is 100% your responsibility. Suffering is me obsessing over me. That's suffering. Mm -hmm. And my favorite quote of all time is from the greatest mentor in my life, Tony Robbins. Um, And he says, when you trade your expectations for appreciations, your whole life changes in an instant. And that quote has really driven a lot of my life. If I take a look at what I expected to be different and instead appreciated it, all of a sudden in that moment, I can find the gift that will lead me to a more powerful and beautiful life because most people think they shouldn't have problems, but problems are just the gifts that you grow from. And the reason that they're painful is so you pay attention. So problems are just gifts that are wrapped in pain. So you actually open them. And most people avoid opening the present because it's painful, but there's a gift inside. And once you don't make the pain wrong and you make it beautiful, leading you somewhere, then all of a sudden you receive the gift that will allow you to change your circumstances. So that's my take on It's so, it's so hard. What you're saying is be for most people. So I love the examples you give your parents and, you know, the kids at school and all these kind of things, because for most people that just solidifies for them, right? Like it's just more of affirmation. It's like, yeah, I actually can't, like they look at that, their parents and they go, that's just like how I'm going to be. That's how things are, right? That's the way that is. And there, you had the insight to change, to flip that and like to start exposing yourself to some of these mentors and some of these books and some of these coaches, even when you had no money, Danny has a very similar story in terms of using her last $500 on her credit card to go to a, what was it? It was like a, like a financial getting out of debt seminar when I was in debt, (laughs) 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 going into debt to get, go to a get out. So there's a, there's a level of courage, right. That has to happen because you don't know if it's going to work, right. You're just like, I guess I'm going to, so you are in that place. And I love that, you know, the whole analogy of using, um, you know, pain as presence because we don't like to be in pain, even though, you know, we talk about this a lot in the podcast, even though you like know intellectually it's a gift, right? It's like, you're like, yeah, but sometimes you're like, I'm done with, I'm done with the gifts. Like I'm done with the, <laughs> I'm done with the hard stuff. Let's just get to the good stuff. And so what I guess what I'm hearing you say is the more you just embrace these challenges or embrace these inevitable like pains that come up, that's how you get to the good stuff, right? So it's like this leap of faith you sort of have to take. Yes. And, and problems will get more painful until you pay attention. Um, and I think most people don't realize this. They think I'm going to avoid this problem. But if we have, let's, the foundational belief of my life is life is happening for me. Mm-hmm. I believe that in everything. Now, Am I always great at listening to that at all times? No, I'm human, right? I sometimes will fall into this shouldn't happen and then I correct myself and I adjust. But I believe that life is happening for me and that has been a core driver in me. Well, if life is truly happening for you and that sounds great in theory, well, then we can assume that life's always trying to help you win. And if life likes to give you problems that are typically wrapped in pain, they typically don't start out very painful. Uh, my, one of my mentors, Scott Harris, taught me what's called feathers, bricks, and trucks. How life trying to serve you will dust you with a little feather and say, hey, you should probably pay attention to this. This is incredibly important. This is something that could serve you. But because you're so busy with the demands of life, you brush off that feather, right? And it dusts you with a couple more and you keep brushing it off. And life's like, okay, I got to get your attention. And so what life will do is write you a note and wrap it around a brick and throw it through your living room window. Glass shatters everywhere. 
and the lessons right there in your living room. But most people are looking at the glass that shouldn't have shattered. Mm. They're saying it should be different. And everyone's scared. They're running around freaking out. And then they don't see the lesson. So life keeps throwing bricks through your windows. Next thing you know, you have no windows in your house. Your family is scared. You're scared. There's a pile of lessons that you're not seeing. And you're looking around at everyone else in that neighborhood saying, they don't understand my situation. My situation is different. It's harder for me. They don't understand what I'm going through. But the lessons are right there. And so what life likes to do, because you're not paying attention, is it takes a can of red paint and it writes the lesson on the front of a truck. And it blares its horn so you turn and you see the lesson as it runs you over. And you wake up in a hospital a couple weeks later and you have a choice in that moment. You can choose to learn the lesson or you can say the truck shouldn't have run me over. Mm. And most people in life keep avoiding the lesson. And life's lessons will get louder and louder. Your job is just catch them when they're a feather so they don't get to the truck. And I've had plenty of trucks in my life. But it's important that you, the way to do this is to ask yourself, what meaning am I giving this situation. Life is made up of events and the meaning you give to each event. Let's say that you and I are heading into, let's say a smoothie shop and I open the door for you and I'm just being a gentleman. I open the door and you say, thank you. That's so nice of you. Why? It's not because I opened the door. It's because of what your interpretation of that gesture is. Because if I open the door and you can be like, I can get myself, you pig. I don't need your help, right? You would never do that. But let's just say that happened. The event never changed. The meaning you gave the event changed. And so when we realize that all, like your life is a direct reflection of the quality of your emotions and the quality of your emotions comes from the meaning that you give your circumstance. Suffering is never found in the situation. It's found in your perception of the situation. And so if you change your perception, you change your life instantly. And most people need to get to a place where they've been dealt enough pain before they change, right? You get to that place where you step on the scale and you go, I got to change. You get to that place where you overdraft your bank account one too many times. I got to change. Or when something really bad happens. And so you're job is just to be responsible enough to catch the mistake or I shouldn't say mistake, catch the challenge, um, when it's a feather before it gets to a truck. I, I love all of these examples and I'm just with you on so many of these things. And I, I do some workshops that teach some similar things about rewiring your brain. And I'm actually curious, I get this a lot is how do you find out what your limiting beliefs are? How do you identify, or how do you help identify people, people's limiting beliefs? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, how would you complete this sentence? Money is. Business is. Success is. Right? Like, there's there's two types of beliefs, right? There's global beliefs and there's rules, right? Global beliefs are generalized statements about something, a, a population, men, women, life, money, success, business, whatever it is. Rules are, if I succeed in business, I can't be a great mom, mm. Right? Rules are more micro beliefs that are conditional in certain situations. And so if I ask someone what they want to achieve in life and then why they can't achieve that, you'll find what your limiting beliefs are. And if you want to take the, if you want to get really deep and find what your greatest limiting beliefs are, I like to go back to, and I shouldn't say greatest limiting beliefs. I should say just greatest beliefs because the beliefs also might be empowering. Um, it just depends on the context and the situation. But if I were to ask you, whose love did you crave growing up the most? If you were raised by your parents, mom or dad, or if you're raised by your grandparents, grandma or grandpa, right? Uh, but of the people that were foundational in your upbringing, whose love did you crave the most? Not whose love did you get, whose love did you crave? And for me, it was my mom, right? And if I asked myself, who did I need to be to receive love from my mom? 
It was submissive and perfect, right? That's who I needed to be to receive love from my mom. Submissive and perfect. And I've identified, like, if you've just asked those couple of questions, you'll identify sometimes the greatest limiting beliefs of your life. Mm. And for some people that had an amazing childhood, right? You'll probably find some of your more empowering beliefs of life. But that's where the a lot of the inception of it comes from. You can also ask the general question of how do you view money? How do you view success? What do you want and why can't you get it? What's the story that's playing in your head? And you'll find a whole bunch of beliefs. But one of the greatest ways to find what your limiting beliefs are is to identify what you really want out of life. Because once you identify what your actual vision is, that ego is coming for you. And it's going to start popping up with all of these things about why you can't get it, which is why if you are not finding that limiting beliefs are showing up, you're not playing big enough. Mm. It's time that you step up and ask yourself, what do I really want? What's the next level of success? And that will bring to light things that you didn't even know were in there. So there's a whole bunch of techniques, but those are just some of them. Those are so great. I'm like doing the exercise in my head. I'm like, I'm like, should I write this down? This is really good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so good. And I guess the question of what do you want even that sometimes can feel borrowed, right? Like you're like, I should want, or my parents want me to, or, you know, so many of these beliefs are like you said, from such a younger version of you, right? It's that inner child work. It's like, so how do you start identifying, like, how do you help your clients anyway, start identifying their truth about what they want versus maybe a borrowed truth or just, I don't know, like we have a lot of people who we are, who listen to the show who kind of woke up at 40 and were like, I've been living someone else's life for the first, for these last 40 years. So how do you help someone identify what they really want? Because that's what I guess the, the first step. Yeah. So I think the first thing that I do is I help them see um, mistakes that people commonly make in identifying their vision. Most people make the mistake of setting a realistic, safe dream based on past failures because they are tying their worth mm. to an outcome. And so they think if I tone down my goals to be more realistic and safe, then I'm not threatening my worth. But there's a problem with that. They're not motivated and inspired by it. And most mm. people don't realize the reason they don't achieve their small goals is because they don't care about them. And so they hold themselves back from eating, even achieving the smaller ones, which just repeats the cycle. And they think, if I miss this goal, I'm not worthy. And so I can't set a huge goal because my worth depends on it. So the first mistake that they make is setting a goal based on past failures, based on previous mistakes, based on what society is telling them is okay. But then once they realize that that's a mistake and there's consequences in that that will never lead to a life that they want, I, I disassociate themselves from the goal because you don't set goals for the certainty of attainment. You set it to become a new person. I remember, uh, about three years, four years ago, three years ago, um, my business was doing, I'll just share numbers for, uh, relatability here, like, and, or I guess for context and whether these numbers inspire or intimidate you, it's not about sharing the number. It's just about to show you what's, what's possible. Right? So about three or four years ago, our business was doing like $25,000 a month in revenue. Pretty good. Right? I was talking to my coach and I was telling him like, I'm setting my goals for this year. I'm really excited. And he's like, all right, Brad, tell me your goals. And I was like, I really want to get our revenue to $30,000 a month. I want a 20% increase in top line. And he said something I'll never forget. He goes, why are you setting such weak goals? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? $30,000 a month is amazing, right? That was life-changing revenue at that time. Um, And he said, no, you're missing the point. Why would you ever set a goal you know you can hit? And I was like, Oh, snap. 
right? He said the purpose of setting a goal is not to achieve it. It's to become a new person. Mm. Like he said, what's a goal that sets your soul on fire that makes you get the passion sweats that makes your butt pucker a little bit. And it just came out of me. It was a hundred thousand dollars a month. I wanted that so bad, a hundred grand a month. I had no freaking clue how to do it. Right. But I was just, I kept on imagining what he said. Huge goals change the way you think, live in the feelings of your wishes. I kept picturing it, what it would be like, how that would feel. But there was a challenge. My wife just had Lily, our daughter, and it was a really traumatic childbirth. She was in the hospital for two weeks. Both of them almost died. It was a really tragic situation, but I kept picturing it. And plus then factor in the whole newborn life. You're not getting sleep, all that stuff. And about two months later, I was in the shower and you always get the best ideas when you don't have a pen, right? And I get this idea for a way to share our program with thousands of people that I didn't think of before. And within just a couple months of that happening, our business did $800,000 in sales. Then we went on to do $900,000 a couple years later in a five-day period of time. And I'm not sharing that to impress anyone. I'm sharing that to impress upon people that huge goals change the way you think. You do it to become a new person because your worth has nothing to do Mm. with the outcome of a goal. And so People still, when I share that story, are like, okay, that's great. That's inspiring. But how the heck do I do it? You disassociate from the outcome and pretend you're a little kid. Now, this sounds so silly, but little kids are the greatest example of success on earth. The greatest example, because up until about the age of 12, they want to be an astronaut, the president of the United States, and Spider-Man all at the freaking same time. And so they run into the living room with their Spider-Man undies on, an astronaut helmet and suit and tie, and deliver their presidential address, right? That's what they do. And they're told, oh my gosh, that's cute, that's amazing, and they're excited until the age of 12, when they're told to sit down, shut up, get an A+, or you're a failure. Mm. You're groomed to be perfect. And so I have my clients... First of all, disassociate, realize the wrong ways of setting goals, and then ask them to play like a little kid because the purpose of a goal is not to hit it. It's to energize you. Because if you think about kids, their energy increases, their creativity increases, and that is how they come up with all these ideas. So if you want to get to a new goal at a new level, you need new energy, new creativity. So just be like a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm a big kid all day long. And so those are just some of the techniques that we use to help our clients. I love the reframing of goals because I think that most people think a goal is to hit it, right? You've set a goal to lose 10 pounds. You want to lose 10 pounds. You set a goal to hit 100K. You hit 100K. And you're almost sharing like uh, Grant Cardone's 10X rule. He's like, whatever your goal is, 10X it because you have to create new problems. His thing is create new problems, right? So your problem's at $25,000 a month are totally different than your problems at $100,000 a month. So I really, uh, I really like that reframe. And uh, <laughs> it made me laugh about the 12. My, my niece just turned 11. We went to her birthday. She had the worst makeup on. She put like blue eyeshadow and she just looked a mess. And, and my daughter saw her. She goes, wouldn't it, it's so cool to be 11 years old before anyone tells you that you can't wear makeup like that in public. And there is just something about that. You just don't know what's not possible. So you, look for all the possibilities. But you said you you encourage your clients to, you know, act like a kid. But some people, I think that's really hard to do. How do you get them to get into that mindset of removing possibilities and all of the things they've been told over their lives about what they can't and how they can't do something and just get out of that self-critical mindset? Because a lot of people are really stuck there and 
when I say a lot of people, I've been stuck there. So how do you, yeah. How do you get into that childlike idea and get excited without the back of your mind being like, no, this isn't, you can't do it. Well, you said something interesting just a second ago. You said the back of your mind and like people live in their head all day long, right? If you're in your head, you're dead. If you're in your heart, you're smart. And so a lot of people will rely on this survival brain, right? This thing is not meant to make you happy. And if you're listening, I'm pointing to my head, right? Like this thing is not meant to make you happy. It's meant to keep you alive. It's a survival mechanism. Your brain is a survival mechanism, meaning at any moment in time, it's looking for threats, what to protect you from. It's trying to keep you alive because millions of years ago, you weren't worried about losing 10 pounds or growing a million dollar business or being a present parent. You were worried about the saber toothed tiger that was hiding in the bushes that was going to eat you. That's what you were worried about. We don't have the same threats but we do have the same reptilian brain. So at any moment in time, your brain is looking for what to protect you from. And so if you are living in the mind, right? These thoughts that seem so unique to us, they're actually everyone's thoughts. Everyone has these thoughts. If you're living in the mind, then of course you're gonna be in fear. But fear is just your imagination undirected. Faith, otherwise known as trust, I'm not saying religion, trust, belief, faith, that's your imagination directed. That's all it is. Faith and fear both require you believing in something unseen. And most people are relying on the survival brain. So how do you do that? How do you get into that place? It's connecting to your heart. And this sounds fluffy, but there's science behind this. HeartMath Institute did a study. And they were trying, they were analyzing people trying to solve a problem from a state of stress. And they measured brain waves and heart waves, the EEG and the EKG. And they put them overlapped on a screen as they were trying to solve these problems. And the screen was just chaos. It was just absolutely nuts. There was no correlation whatsoever. And they couldn't find direction. But from just three minutes of breathing deep into your heart, connecting with your heart. And by that, I mean gratitude, deep appreciation, not just like, oh, I'm grateful I have a roof over my head, but like reflecting on the best memories of your life. Like if both of you right now think about what's your favorite memory. And if you go back to that memory and picture it as if you're there, relive it, breathe the same way you did then, feel what you felt then, experience it all over again. You'll connect with those same emotions And what they found when they did this for three minutes, all it took is three minutes, and they measured the EEG and the EKG, both were perfectly aligned and smooth. The heart and the brain were working together, and all of a sudden, the brain, the mind, became a tool that the heart could use to fulfill its purpose. And most people don't realize that the heart has its own nervous system. And when you connect to it, All of a sudden, these fears dissipate because you're not in survival. You're not in the sympathetic nervous system. That fight or flight or freeze has gone away. And you're connected to the truth. And when you're connected there, then all of a sudden, possibility becomes more rich. It becomes more vibrant. It becomes more possible because you're actually listening to the truth of what you want out of your life. And so that's where I have my clients go when they're worried about fear. It's so good. And I love that you said that fear is imagined and as is faith, like they're both imagined. And so why wouldn't we choose, right? The faith piece. And, you know, that's, I think that's probably one of the hardest things is getting out of your head because the second you set a goal, what are you thinking? 
You're literally like, how on earth would that happen, right? I can't even picture it. I can't. So one of the things that my clients actually say quite a bit, and I'm interested in your take on this. I have my take. But when people say that they are scared of being too successful, right? This comes up a lot because this sounds odd, right? You're like, why would you ever be scared of making a million dollars? Like, that's not scary, right? Like, like, why is that? So what do you say to someone who is, who is saying something along the lines of this fear of success? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it goes back to, you know, the brain trying to protect you and whatever. Uh, and maybe it's goal setting, but yeah, I'd love your take on that specific limiting belief. Whenever someone tells me they're afraid of success, I just say BS. Um, And so what do I mean by that? I say you're not afraid of success. You're afraid of losing success. So you're afraid of failure. Failure. And so that's what people are actually afraid of. They're afraid of failure because they think that if I'm successful, how am I going to maintain that? It's going to require more of me. It's more sacrifice away from my family. They have all these limiting beliefs about what that means to be successful. Or what if I don't deliver for my clients or whatever it is? And they're afraid of losing that success, which ultimately comes down to a worthiness question, right? It ultimately comes down to, am I enough to sustain that? So if someone has a fear of success, they're actually just afraid of losing it, which means that they're attached to the outcome of it. And if you are attached to any outcome, you are basing your worth on whatever that outcome is. And so when we realize that success has nothing to do with your worth, um, then all of a sudden you're no longer afraid of it because Mm -hmm. you've been worthy since the moment you were born. So, um, no one's actually afraid of success, in my, in my personal opinion. I love that you kind of flipped it. I feel like there are two sides, two sides of the same coin as well. And you know, the worthiness thing is so interesting because it's like, how do we start? Like in theory, it's a really nice soundbite. Like detach from your worth, like detach it from your worth. You know, and it's it's one of those things where I'm sure you help your clients because. For example, maybe they're like, I'm not attached to this financial goal, but I do have bills to pay. So I kind of like have to be attached to it a little bit because I like need it to, I need to work. And so what would your, and I get this a lot, especially because I work with a lot of newer entrepreneurs where they're like, I love this idea, Jill, but also I need to make, like, I need to make a hundred thousand dollars in three months. Like they come in with this, this urgency and, you know, it can be sometimes hard to have this like higher level conversation around what energy you're showing up with and just be grateful and like whatever when they're like, their back is against the wall. So how would you, I don't know, how would you help someone or what would you, how would you start with someone like that? So I always like to operate from the common sense corner, right? I step into my common sense corner and I'm like, does this make sense? And so um, I think I'll start with the logic of this for anyone that's listening, that's feeling that desperation, because desperation is not a fun place to build a business. Inspiration is, that's where you build it from. Um, So I'll talk about attachment versus commitment. Then I'll follow it up with a little equation for self-worth. So if we think about this feeling of, I need to make a hundred thousand dollars, I need to, right? Ask yourself what emotions follow that right? And it's typically stress, fear, overwhelm, anxiety, panic, doubt, judgment, whatever it is. And just make a list of whatever emotions come up for you. If you're listening to this, pause it and, you know, write those down. What emotions come up for you? But then if you connect with what the actual dream is, right? Why do you want $100,000? What would that do? Well, it'd get me out of debt. Okay. If you were out of debt, what would be present in your life that's not present now? Well, I'd be able to take my kids to Disney, right? I'd be able to, you know, retire my spouse. I'm making things up, right? But what would this desperate dream open up for you that is from a place of service and love and giving? And when you connect to that, all of a sudden you're inspired. Mm. And when you think about goals from that perspective, what emotions follow? 
It's typically joy, appreciation, love, passion, excitement. Well, pause and write down what emotions would show up if you connect to that. And then take a moment and look at those two lists. If we step into the common sense corner, which of those two lists are you more likely to build a business from? Which of those two lists are you more likely to come up with a great idea on how to make $100,000 from? Right? So you could say, I'm desperate. I need this to happen. Oh my goodness, this is absolutely critical. And that might be true. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's true. It matters what energy will actually make it possible. Mm. So I'm not saying success is easy. I'm saying making it hard doesn't make sense. And so if you're making it harder on yourself than you need to be, it's time to reevaluate that and ask what emotions would actually lead to this ideal outcome. And typically people connect with that when they connect with a celebration, a level of contribution, a level of appreciation, which ultimately increases self-worth. If we think of attachment, attachment is a wor- uh, my worth is dependent on an outcome. Well, There's an equation. I heard this. uh, I was volunteering at uh, the Tony Robbins Global Youth Leadership Summit like four years ago. And one of the trainers there said something really powerful. He said, worth equals love over time. And I thought that was really profound. But I started, I took that and I started thinking about it and just playing with it in my own ecosystem. And A lot of people think that that love needs to come from other people. Maybe that's clients coming in or a spouse being grateful that you made this business success or whatever it is. And if worth is based on external love, then your emotions are always up and down and chaotic, right? And and so most people think that, and then most people live in the past. They're like, the love I should have gotten from my mom needs to be different for me to feel worthy. No, that's not true. You're just looking at this in, in, in an inappropriate way. And so if worth is based on external love over time, then we're either going to feel it when everything's aligned or not feel it at all. So I started playing with that equation. I said, wait a minute, worth equals self-love over time. And by self-love, I don't mean a bubble bath. What I mean by self-love is truly celebrating and appreciating your own soul, like who you are. If you can appreciate and celebrate what you did accomplish that day instead of what you didn't, if you can celebrate and appreciate how you added value to the world, it could literally be making your kids a sandwich. It doesn't matter. If you celebrate and appreciate the man or woman you are, I'm loving, I'm caring, I'm a giving person, I'm a good human being, and you celebrate yourself on a regular basis, you control that. And so all of a sudden, you have this equation, worth equals self-love over time. If you celebrate yourself and appreciate yourself more, then all of a sudden, you're not questioning your worth. If you're not questioning your worth then you'll take more bold action and you start stepping up and doing new things that you haven't thought of before. And this becomes a muscle that you build. Um, And it starts with just a simple leap of faith of saying, I am choosing to see how great I am each day. Um, So those are two kind of different topics, but also closely related. Um, If someone's actually going to get out of desperation into inspiration, I think they need to focus on building their own worth and realizing from the common sense corner that, toxic emotions or painful emotions while real aren't in service to your dreams. You just said something that I really loved. You said, I'm choosing, I think you said, I'm choosing to see this a different way or I'm choosing to like love myself. I think that choosing and choice is so big in there. And going back to your story earlier, when you said, you know, if my parents were fighting, I wouldn't have this relationship that I have now if I didn't have debt growing up. But 
I think that a lot of people will blame their relationships like all I saw was fighting. So this is what I do. I was in poverty. This is what I do. So at some point you had to make a choice and say, I'm doing things differently. I'm doing things differently. And ultimately, I think we have to make the choice to also see things differently. And I really believe this comes around to language. So I'm curious as your thoughts on language, how you talk to yourself, how you speak, and how does that tie into mindset? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, that's such a good question. Um, to anyone listening, write this down. The words you use to describe your experience become your experience. Um, it's Words cast a spell on you. That's why it's called spelling, right? Um, it's, there's actually a, a technique called transformational vocabulary. And this is incredibly important. A lot of people will roll their eyes when they hear this. But it's so important that you are evaluating the words you use to describe your experience, what you're going through. If I say, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm, I feel it. But if I say, I'm a wee bit perturbed today, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little bit different. If I say, like, if I say the word, let's, here we go. Let's try this one. Let's get a little weird on this podcast. If I say the word um, booty, what emotions come with that? If I say the word badonkadonk, what emotions come with that? If I say the word glute or the words gluteus maximus, what emotions come with that? If I say the word butt, what emotions come with that? If I say the word, excuse me, ass, what emotions come with that? Right? It's the same freaking thing. But there's varying ways to explain it based on your vocabulary. And so you have given weight to these words. And everyone has a different way of describing it. But what the goal here is not to deny a negative emotion is to ask ourselves, are these words that we're using to explain what we're going through actually in service to a better future? And the answer is no. Well, a lot of people like to live in their limiting words. Why? Because it makes them feel important to have a harder story than everyone else. Mm. Like everyone needs to feel significant. Most people feel significant by having significant problems, mm. right? And that's where most people live. And so they create these stories that they don't want to escape from because it makes them feel important, but it makes you feel far more important to change how you feel. And so if you evaluate what are the top five, let's say, negative emotions you feel on a weekly basis, and then you evaluate what are your top five positive emotions you feel on a weekly basis. Well, ask yourself, these negative emotions, what do you typically say when those show up? Is it, oh, my back's against the wall, I'm so overwhelmed. Right? If you're saying your back's against the wall, that metaphor carries weight versus I'm floating on a cloud. I made that up, right? It's a different experience. If you're, if you're drowning in quicksand, it's a different experience than splashing in a puddle, right? So all I'm trying to say is if you take these negative words and you just lighten them a little bit, take I'm so anxious to I care about the future, like that changes everything. If I'm overwhelmed to I'm perturbed, it's just a wee bit perturbed, right? It changes everything. If I'm drowning in imposter syndrome, it's I'm a beginner and I have a little self-doubt, right? If we just lighten up the negative ones and then take the positive ones, I'm feeling good, to I'm fantastic, and we amplify the positive ones, it's not just pretending. We're actually wiring new neural connections in the brain. Most people have a highway to pissed off and a dirt road to happiness. What does that mean? It means they've practiced negative emotions so often that it's easy to feel that way. What does it take for someone to feel overwhelmed? Anything. What does it take for someone to be happy? They have a list of a million things to do it. But if you practice just this simple technique, and this is one of many, then it's actually easy to feel happy and hard to feel bad. 
And when this is practiced over time, it becomes who you are. It becomes your identity. Um, and that's a whole other conversation. But uh, that's how I feel about words. They're everything. That's amazing. Yeah. What does James say? He always says, um, your words create your world. That's another good one. Yeah. And it's true though. It's like, you know, it's hard because sometimes, well, it's obviously hard. Here's my limiting belief, but stress sometimes, right? The concept of stress, because you were like, what's the top five emotions you've experienced this week? I'm like stress, top top one, right? Sometimes we feel like stress is just part of the experience, right? Like it's, there's not a choice there. I had a, a mindset coach like probably over a decade ago and he said, Jill, what most people don't realize is that it's not something happens and then the emotion is the same thing. He goes, there's a little bit of space between something happening and then the choice to how you respond, right? Like, or whatever. And so we've heard this in obviously mindset, personal development spaces, but sometimes you feel, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Sometimes you feel like if you're not stressed about this thing, are you almost not making it important? Are you Mm. almost like not giving it the attention that it needs? You're almost like, you know what? I don't really care about this launch. And then you almost feel like you're not going to do everything. And I'm, I'm really personally trying to get out of this quite a bit, but like I've been in spaces where people like stress is necessary. It's the thing that's going to propel you to, you know, do the most and like whatever. And I agree with you. It's a miserable way to do things, but how do you help someone who goes stress is necessary for me? Well, this is a really interesting topic because a lot of people swing to extremes, right? They think if I, I can be no stress whatsoever and, or I'm stressed all the time and I'm freaking out, right? And most people just one or the other, right? But here's the thing about negativity. It will always exist. And without it, you wouldn't appreciate the positive. And so if there's this black and white, either or, um, then it causes people to think I'm doing it right or wrong. Mm. And so if you think about weightlifting, right? You are putting a muscle under tension, under stress. And that's a, not a bad thing. If you do too much, it will rip and be a bad thing. If you do too little, it won't grow, right? If you think about what actually, if I'm doing a set of 10 bicep curls and I'm challenging myself, what rep am I actually going to get the most benefit from? Rep 13, right? Like that's where I'm going to get the best, the best benefit from. And you would know better than I would on what the actual answer that is, but This is how a lot of people think that stress needs to be. It's either I'm ripping the bicep or I'm not doing anything. Mm. Pressure is beautiful because it allows you to realize that what comes at you is never greater than what's within you. Mm. And so it's just about not going to extremes. Most people try to escape negativity instead of welcome negativity. I love welcoming negativity. I'm not a negative person. I'm a very positive person and naturally positive. I used to be toxically positive. Now I'm genuinely optimistic. What does that mean? That means it's not pretending that problems don't exist. It's saying, hey, okay, this is a significant challenge. Here's what I'm doing about it. And I'm choosing to view it through this lens. Optimism and toxic positivity are very, very different things. And so I realized that, like, if you think about negative emotions, most people make negative emotions wrong. They make stress wrong. And if stress is wrong, then they resist it. And whatever you resist persists. Right. And so it gets more intense. Well, what I realized a couple years ago, the key to making negative emotions lighter is to welcome them. If I'm anxious... And I'm all of a sudden I get anxious that I'm anxious. Now I get feelings about my feelings, right? 
But instead if I say, okay, I'm a little anxious. I care about the future. And I welcome that anxiety. Then it dissipates mm-hmm. and it gets lighter because it's no longer wrong. And so if someone's stressed and they're trying to get a launch going, instead just welcome it. Okay, I'm a little stressed right now. Don't make the fear wrong. Because stress is just the achiever's word for fear. That's all it is. It's fear. And so just make the fear okay. And when you welcome the fear, it doesn't hold you as much anymore. And then you can utilize the positive parts of that, the pressure of it, to step up. And the negative, which is the toxic part that makes you get in your head, that dissipates. And it becomes lighter. So it's not an either-or thing. It's a, it's an and. It's both and. Yeah, I like that. And you're welcoming the negativity or welcoming the uncomfortable feelings versus trying to brush them away and gaslight yourself and say like, this isn't happening. I'm fine. It's okay. Everything's fine. Because I think that so we see a lot of messages that are toxic positivity and that are trying to just make everything okay. And I, I also have... I wouldn't say I have an issue. It just depends on how the person says it. But you you said this life is happening for you. I used to really believe that, but I've seen people use it in a toxic positivity type of way. And so I'm glad you kind of caveated this part of the conversation because I think it could sometimes feel like it's just washing away all bad things and making them good and okay and for you. And I think that could be misunderstood a little bit. Totally. It absolutely can be misunderstood. I, I think there is a, a gift in every challenge, but if someone uses life is happening for you as a way to escape challenge, then they're missing the whole point, right? If you're meant to face challenge, if you didn't face challenge, you wouldn't grow. And so, and then people know if they're doing it, people know if they're escaping, people know if they're living in avoidance. Avoidance is a great short-term strategy um, for relief. It's a great long-term strategy for pain. Because ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain. And so if we use these personal development cliches from you know Jim Rohn and Napoleon Hill and Tony Robbins from years ago, um, just as a way to posture and pretend that everything's fine, uh, it's not actually growth. It's avoidance. And mm. so I think we need to actually reflect on what life is happening for you means. Like if, if you're going through a really challenging time, And let's say there's a death in the family. Let's say that uh, my business crashes and burns and I go bankrupt. Like if I'm sitting there going, you know, oh, it's fine. Life is happening for me. Like what? (laughs) Like you're missing the whole point. Instead of if you say, you know, I'm really struggling right now. You know, my business just went bankrupt. I just had a death in the family. I'm really struggling. And here's how I'm choosing to view it. I'm going to look at this through the lens of this is extremely painful. And I'm going to learn X, Y, and Z from it. That's authentic. Life is happening for you and not to you, not avoidance. Um, And I just think that's, and the reason I'm so passionate about that is because I used to be the former. Mm. I used to be the guy that, no, there are no problems. Everything's fine. Right. Um, Then I stopped denying problems. I stopped denying problems and, uh, and started welcoming them, not making them wrong and realizing that pain is actually a, a gift. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, that's so good. And I liked how it's a nuanced conversation, right? I think it's so easy to just try and make, like you said earlier, these things extremes or black and white. And, you know, and especially when you start to get, you start to quote, like, quote unquote, get the personal development stuff a little bit, then you start judging yourself for not being perfect with it all. Right. That's like a whole yeah. other like conversation yeah. we can have yeah. about like beating yourself up because you're not perfectly like doing the mindset all, all the time. And what I guess what I hear you saying is like, 
you're still a human. Like this stuff is always going to happen. You know, that's what, um, you know, like Danny said earlier, Grant Cardone's thing is like, er, you know, take enough massive action to earn yourself new problems. I think there's always going to be a problem, right? No matter small, big, you know, catastrophic or like a pebble in your shoe. But so it's more like, what's your relationship to problems versus, you know, this problem is bringing out this specific thing or, you know, I have to respond this way or whatever. It's more like, what's your relationship to problems? And that's what I always try and like with my team, like, because I'm very acutely and I really didn't get this in the business until I started having team. And I was like, oh, how I'm responding is exactly what they're picking up on. I got to take way more ownership for my emotional state because when I'm a solopreneur, right, it's like I get to be mad and pissed and frustrated and, you know, whatever. But I'm coming to my team. And if they start to feel like they start picking up on that stuff right now, I'm like, OK, I need to have a different relationship to problems. And so that's just a great example. I have only one more question. I don't know if Danny has too, but for you. If you had access to a room of like 10,000 people and you could tell them one thing that you wish they would all get or understand or like your mission on earth, what would you tell these people? That is a fantastic question. Just one sentence that I tell them or just or like, just like one idea that you're just like, I want people to get this. It's. You're exactly where you need to be to learn what you need to learn to live the life you're meant to live. Mm. And if you deny where you are, then you're actually keeping yourself where you are. Um, I used to always think that it should be different. I'd be happy when until I, as I look back and granted, I'm still very young um, and have a lot more to learn and don't claim to know everything. But as I look back on the last, what? 10 years, uh, everything happened exactly as it was supposed to. Um, didn't mean that I didn't have influence on things. I did, but you're exactly where you need to be. And once you accept that you're exactly where you need to be, all of a sudden you'll learn the lesson that will move you towards where you want to be. Love that. Anything else, Danny? No, that was actually really beautiful. I loved it so much. Um, where can people find you, follow you, work with you? All of those things, Brad. All the good things. Yeah. Um, so easiest way is the gram, just at Brad Bizjack on Instagram. But uh, if if you're in a place where any of this, re- just any of this connected with you, um, at this stage, I'm proud to share that I've worked with almost 40,000 people from all over the world. And I've recognized some patterns five major patterns. And these patterns are lenses in which people view life, like beliefs that they have about life, general beliefs. And most people don't realize what their limiting beliefs are, and that's why they're stuck. I call these beliefs archetypes, different ways and lenses of viewing the world. Um, And when you identify what your unique success archetype is, you'll see the limiting beliefs that are, are preventing you from the life that you really want. And so I boiled this into a completely free 60 second quiz that will help you identify your starting point. Like what, what is the lens in which you're viewing life and how could that be limiting you? How is it helping you and how is it hurting you? And what exactly to do about that? So it's totally free, 60 seconds. Um, you can find it at quizzes.bradbizjack.com. It's called what's your unique success archetype. And it will help you tremendously in, um, if you've been wondering why some people seem to effortlessly succeed and other people seem to struggle and overwhelm for years and years and years, uh, this will show you exactly why that is and what to do about it. So you can find that at quizzes.bradbizjack.com and 
yeah, hope that helps. I love it. I can't wait to figure out what my archetype is. I'm probably <laughs> all of them. I don't know. <laughs> well, thank you. I know what yours, are, yours is. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Whatever the like perfectionist, overachiever, like abandonment. I mean, all of them. It's fine. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on, Brad, and just really just your expertise. And obviously, you've been at this for a long time. You work with a ton of people and just really gave us so many gems today. So just want to say thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll let you know when this is up, but you're the best. Well, thank you so much for having me today, friends. You got it. Thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much. All right, Brad, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Bye. Bye.